0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time, a podcast put out by the Technology, Media, and Telecommunications Group here at Arnold & Porter. I'm your host, Evan Rothstein. I am delighted to be joined in today's podcast by Amy Stepanovich, who is the Executive Director at the Silicon Flatirons Program, a think tank here in Boulder, Colorado. Amy, welcome into the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Evan.
0: I'm so excited to have you here. One, because I've been involved in Silicon irons for so long, but two, because you are all over the place on the internet in terms of social media. So I'm hoping your presence can increase the, what, two, three listeners that we have to this podcast. What do you think, Amy? Are you going to be able to do that for us? Let's
1: try to double it. Let's just go all out.
0: All right. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Well, Amy... Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to where you are, what the Silicon Flatirons program is. Just introduce our listeners to who you are.
1: Sure. So I spent, before coming to Colorado, about 10 years in Washington, D.C., doing um, legal and policy work on technology, mainly in the the areas of privacy, cybersecurity, um, a lot of human rights work, working at... The Electronic Privacy Information Center and then Access Now, which works globally, and really became heavily invested in the impact that technology can have on people's lives and how it's being used in different circumstances. So when the illustrious Phil Weiser became attorney general of the, the great state of Colorado and the position at Silicon Flat Irons opened up, I was really honored to be selected to step in and lead the center into the next generation. Um, Silicon Flatirons is at Colorado Law. We're a research center looking at the intersection of law, technology, and entrepreneurship. We work on a ton of different initiative areas from privacy to AI and copyright issues and trying to figure out what is the next thing? Um, What are policy makers, legal leaders, Going to be needing an answer to tomorrow, and then bringing all of the right people into the room that need to be there in order to have the conversation that can provide the answers.
0: That sounds awesome, and I, I'm actually just realizing that you may be the first non-lawyer guest on the podcast. Oh no,
1: I'm still a lawyer.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm it. not.
1: Pr- I might not practice. I'm definitely inactive in the D.C. and New York bars, but uh, the license oh. is there.
0: Oh well. I mean, we had it. You had me going for a little while. I'm sorry. All right, well, even though you're still one of us, I suppose, and probably the only people that listen to this podcast are lawyers. What are the policy issues that on Firearms is, is working on right now?
1: So we just wrapped up a great conference um, with our telecom and platforms initiative looking at governance issues and lessons. I mean, everybody is thinking about this debate over Section 230 um, and when platforms should have liability for the content that their um, users post. And so we were basically trying to figure out how we can learn from old governance fights on the internet to influence what's happening now. Um, We're going into next week, we have a conference that we're co-hosting on digital accessibility um, and affordability and inclusion. And so looking at the digital divide from an issue of who can afford broadband access and how good is that access, um, we're going to have Senator Ron Wyden keynote that, who's the um, sponsor of the the Accessible Affordable Internet for All Act. Um, Unlike many laws in D.C., this doesn't have a cool acronym. You just have to remember the name of of the bill, Um, and he'll be talking about his efforts there and on broadband use across the country.
0: My reaction to the name of that bill is Bless You or Gazintite because I didn't understand any of it. But how'd you get Senator Wyden in?
1: Senator Wyden, I've I've worked with him and his team um in the past on a range of issues, um, including government surveillance. He's very active um on issues around the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. He's been on the Senate Intelligence Committee for many years. Um, in fact, um, there are he has this habit of asking questions in hearings in those committees that will raise issues for people. That's like a heavily classified space. You're not allowed to know a lot of the things, but he can drop little breadcrumbs in his questions that he asks people. So he's pretty renowned in that space. He introduced the Stop Mass Hacking Act, um, which is one of, it's probably my favorite bill name ever because it's yeah, that's the SMH a bill Act. That I
0: can understand. <laughs> that, like, that's accessible. Yes. Put it that way.
1: Yes, it is. Well, and it's GIF or GIF, GIF. I don't know, yeah, whatever GIF-worthy. you're listening to this I like it. Um, so that was after the committee that does the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure updated the the procedural rules to allow for government hacking, but they hadn't yet. Congress had never passed, still hasn't passed a law um, around when government agents should be able to engage in the practice. Um, it was an effort to try to reverse those the, that rule change and ultimately unsuccessful. Still good down in history as my favorite name for a bill of all time, um, but he's one of the senators that's been most out in front on issues around technology and in these spaces.
0: What do you mean when you say accessibility or that's part of this act? What are we talking about? Or is it, do people have access to technology or is it for those who have difficulty accessing technology, if there's a distinction there?
1: So this is for people to have access to these services, people who may be um, in areas where they either don't have access to broadband because They're too rural, or it's just under under underserved areas, Um, or for people who do have providers, they can get access to it, but the quality is so low um, or so bad that it's really not meaningful access. They um, they can't do video calls, and as we've learned over the last year under the pandemic, video calls are kind of the lifeblood of our society at the moment. Um, We have people who are going to Starbucks and McDonald's and other places with free Wi-Fi to be able to engage in school and work activities. And I don't, I think a lot of folks see that that's a, an issue.
0: And so Silicon Fire is this program that you're talking about next week is basically like to incubate ideas about how to fix issues like that. What, what is going to happen next week?
1: So we'll be talking about what the ideas are. Um, you might have seen that President Biden is tweeting that broadband is infrastructure, and he's been really, the administration has been engaging in these topics. What's going to happen in, with investment to broadband? What should happen? What are the different programs that are out there right now, and how are they used? We'll have speakers from, um, from Comcast, from the Lifeline Association, the Open Technology Institute, um, and with... Um, FCC Acting Commissioner uh, Rosenwurzel's office come and provide all of these different perspectives on where the conversation has gone and where it's going next.
0: All right, well, that sounds awesome. And so you should definitely plug that on this podcast. What day, time, what are we talking about? Is it all, I assume, virtual?
1: It is virtual. Um, It's going to be next week on, I'm getting the exact date, so I can be very specific, um, on May 11th. And so if they go to siliconflatirons.org, um, it's right on our homepage. They can click through to register. Um, it's from 12 to 2 p.m. mountain time for people on the East Coast. That's 2 to 4 p.m. For people in California, that's 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. I feel like we have, we have the time zone converter up on the website. Everybody can see what it is in their own little local world. Um, and we'll have a networking event after. We've been using a really cool networking platform to even in the virtual space, give people a chance to connect with each other, and so they'll have that opportunity as well.
0: That sounds awesome. So, I just pulled you up on on Twitter, um, and I noticed that you tweet every couple hours. Thankfully, you haven't tweeted during this podcast. How do you you use Twitter? and how do you see the policy implications of this accessibility or privacy you said you did cybersecurity. how is that how do those interact with one another
1: so i think that the answer to that um i don't think it's every couple i hope it's not every couple hours um i i think oh i just outed
0: you you love twitter
1: (laughs) (laughs) um i think that the way that i've used it and the way that i've seen it be used has definitely changed over time i remember way back when I was a a baby law intern over the summer talking to somebody about Twitter and talking about how I used it to get access to different headlines, almost like you would a a news aggregating service, because people were tweeting out news stories. Um, You then kind of, I moved through the commentary pace, commentary phase. Um, And I think that's still going on a little bit where Things like yesterday's um, opinion by the Facebook oversight board came out on President Trump's Twitter account. And you have a lot of experts doing really substantive analysis through Twitter and you can follow and see that conversation happening. And it's a good way to learn different perspectives on an issue um, than what you might be exposed to. And then there are other things that it's good for because it's community-based. I think recently one thing that I've noticed you you can't trust opinions in on the internet a lot. I don't think this is surprising to any any of your shocking viewers.
0: shocking. I got the red flashing <laughs> siren from Dredge Report circa yeah, nineteen ninety nine going yeah. on my screen.
1: Um, so I, I I'm thinking about buying a new kitchen sink, and I took to my very favorite search engine, and I said, "What is the best kitchen sink?" And you get all these lists, and you have a moment where you're like, "These lists are put up by people who are paid money." to endorse certain products. And it doesn't say that, and it's really hard to know what the answers are. But if you go to Twitter, much like people use social media, and I say, what kitchen sinks do you all own? Then you get a list of people who actually have the product and they can tell you what's been great and tell you what's been bad, and you can go back and forth. And those conversations, I think, become more valuable in this age of the influencer where you can't figure out where the noise is and where the signal is often.
0: That's actually a really interesting point. I, I, when I go on websites now and I pull up those kinds of lists, I almost read the comments more than I read the lists because I'm hopeful that the comments are at least written by human beings for the most part, or people that may have actually used the services and aren't being paid to make the list that you're talking about. And mm-hmm. well, uh, if you're
1: trustworthy, trust, like Wirecutter, I trust on tech but they don't yeah. have a list of kitchen sinks on Wirecutter. So I'm not, <laughs> like, there are limits to the ones that you can really trust.
0: It's a, it's like consumer reports. I don't even really, I feel like even consumer reports, which used to be the gold standard is now pay for play. Uh, and it's hard to know, it's hard actually to know what to trust, but that's interesting how you use Twitter. Is there, have there been Silk and iron programs on sort of, we did a podcast on, can the president cancel you on Twitter? Are there, are there, uh, Silicon Flatirons policy initiatives around the usage of data or information or these social media platforms?
1: We have a couple. We have one on privacy um, that has looked at the implications. In fact, we just did a conference this sh- earlier this year on, um, called Privacy at the Margins, looking at how data is collected um, and used for and against people in communities that have traditionally been underrepresented or marginalized. Um, by popular society. Um, and then we have a tele- our telecommunications and platforms in- initiative that I mentioned earlier. It's actually, it's one of the longest running themes at Silicon Irons, but the named initiative is brand new. Um, this was our very first conference specifically on that um, under an initiative um, that was formed for it. And that will be looking at all of these different issues when it's a open government violation for the president to block you on Twitter, um, all the way through to, as I said, these govern, these wonky government governance issues, which you really might not care about unless you're deep deep in the weeds.
0: I don't know. The the when that you just mentioned earlier the decision of the what is it called? The Facebook Oversight Board, which is this, you know, the fbob su- Yeah, pseudo independent, but paid by the Facebook Foundation group of individuals who are not a governmental entity, but they come in and they provide alleged oversight to say, well, you can't kick them. You can kick them off Twitter, but, or excuse me, off Facebook, but you have to put a finite date on that. So you got to come back and and revisit the decision. And who's overseeing that oversight board? Anybody?
1: Well, it's interesting. We definitely, you know, the human rights space had been saying for a long time, there needed to be some oversight of facebook's decisions around what speech comes up and what speech comes down the board itself is interesting and unique in that it's it's global it's made up of experts from around the world it's not centered in the u.s you get these um perspectives from everywhere but it does give this glean of governmental authority to a private company so you it's it's interesting in its disconnect and in it's what it's billed as um but it it does provide really necessary a necessary function of giving outside perspectives from experts directly into the process
0: yeah the whole thing makes me uncomfortable all of the what you can Who can be canceled off of the social platforms? Who makes the decisions? Because there is a lot of unacceptable, nasty information on these platforms that may not get canceled or may not be terminated. Whereas some of this may be politically motivated and this podcast is politically agnostic for those listening at home and I'm taking no position on the politics of either side. However, it still makes me uncomfortable to see People you know, you can't do this. You can't be on this. Whereas there's probably a whole host of things that are on these platforms that would be really abhorrent to most people if they actually saw them.
1: It's, I mean, this is one of those really complicated issues where I feel like a lot of people come into it and think they know what the answer is. And then they start thinking about it and realize There are 50 answers and all of them are a little bit wrong. You don't want government saying what can and cannot be on platforms because governments are politically motivated. You don't necessarily want private companies determining what we can see and discuss as a society, although the private companies are in a position where if they don't take certain things down, we see horrible things happen, Um, not only riots, but there are killings in different parts of the world based on content that's spread through the internet. Um, I don't think we can underestimate the the harm that some of these um, false narratives can because we You're going to have to find a way through it. There are much smarter people than me who have worked on these issues for a really long time thinking about it, and I'm glad they are. Um, but I think this is what happens here is going to be one of the issues of our, of our time.
0: The, the best thing about this is that you're now in the executive director of a program that brings these people together to talk about these problems, actually. And, and I see this as sort of the, the platform or the program that you're talking about in terms of accessibility to the internet, which is there are a group of, of people that have a difficult time even getting onto the internet and accessing the information and the types of things that are necessary in today's society, such as online school. Uh, And then once you get on, or those people get on, what are they accessing once they're on? And who's controlling that information? And is it truthful? Is it biased? Is it slanted? Is it paid for or influencers? And then if you don't have a discerning individual looking at it, they can be pretty brainwashed or pretty indoctrinated into certain things that may or may not actually have factual basis.
1: I think we historically in the tech space have had a lot of really segmented comfort like here's the privacy people talking about privacy and here's the speech people talking about speech and here's the net neutrality people always talking about net neutrality. Well,
0: we should plug we should plug silicon flat irons. Net neutrality was an idea that was born at the Silicon Flatirons program circa 2002-03 when I was there. And the individual other than Phil, who was part of it, Tim Wu, is now, I believe, in the White House.
1: He is. Um, And we were the place where the term net neutrality was born. Um, A nice little feather in our cap.
0: Yep. We should bang that drum all day. All right. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. no.
1: That was a great point. And so, but today, I don't think we can't be having those conversations separate anymore. They have to come together. If you look at um, the story of Cambridge Analytica, it was where can people get advertised to? And then what are they seeing? And then where is that information going? And how does false information make them do things within those advertisements? It's cutting across all of these different lines. Um, Who is able to participate in these conversations. If people don't have internet access and there are very specific communities that don't, their data isn't even being counted today um, in a lot of the things that we're doing. So they're not only being not included in the conversations, they don't even exist in the internet world. Their data isn't even there. We can't see it to make decisions about it. So, I mean, we're definitely, the the internet and technology has definitely reached its next phase. We're out of like, it's brand new and shiny and into, there are a lot of really, really hard issues and we didn't solve them in that first phase. And now we, they're worse.
0: Yeah. So the listeners at home can't see the background since you and I are on Zoom. Uh, I am a a tech dork, uh, happy to out myself in the podcast. I do it every time. Uh, I have a poster of Brave New World on my wall for lots of reasons, but I I have some sort of like doomsday thoughts. Every time I see people getting kicked off social media platforms, every time I see social media platforms being used to incite violence or otherwise, I get very concerned. And so I'm glad that organizations like Silicon Flatirons exist to bring thought leaders together, at least to think about these issues and Actually, work on solving the problems that they're posing so that we don't get so far out ahead technology wise that we're unable to keep up from a policy perspective.
1: I mean, I anybody who knows me knows I'm a hardcore science fiction fan. Um, not only like not only the classics, but you I see it...
0: it. I see. I felt. I got on your Twitter before this and I was like, <laughs> wow, there's a lot of dorkism going oh, on. Oh, yeah, I'm like
1: a hardcore nerd, I um, it. but. I think we can learn from that. We see how, if we extrapolate from the decisions that are being made today, what those look like 50, 100 years into the future. We have now, there were bugs that impacted people around the world a few years ago that stemmed because of export control regulations that were put in place in the 1970s. And nobody thought looking ahead, that's going to have cybersecurity implications decades down the road. Um, I think we need to be looking in the future. We can't just be deciding issues on this for tomorrow. Tech is with us for a long time. Um, It's only getting more pervasive in our lives. And so I, I think the people who read science fiction or at least think about the future in some way, sometimes make the best policy people in the tech space because they do that forward thinking.
0: Love this. All right. So we're almost out of time. What's the last science fiction book you read?
1: Um, So I just reread the Expanse series because the final book comes out later this year. And one of my favorite, actually, think one of my favorite pieces of it is just, it's a throwaway reference that some major gaming company had a data breach and all of these people's information got leaked. And I'm like, yep, even 600 years in the future, we're still having massive data breaches that we're having to deal with.
0: Love it. All right. Last Netflix show you watched.
1: Oh, this is actually embarrassing. Um, I just finished Shadow and Bone because it was Recommended to me on the Netflix algorithm. I think it thinks (laughs) that sci-fi and fantasy. It's on mine too.
0: So that means I need to watch it. It does. Is it good? good? There's book series, right?
1: There's a book series. I haven't read the book series. I actually, the one of the main actors in it, I saw in Westworld, and I saw in the Punisher series. And he has this habit of only being in two seasons of anything. And so I'm wondering if this is the thing that makes him go be able to be successful in more than two of something. I
0: I watched Westworld. That was also freaky. Um, Well, look, Amy, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. This has been really insightful and enjoyable for me. You brought up a lot of good issues that I'm hoping to touch on various iterations of the podcast down the road. Um, So I really appreciate that. The previewing. Uh, I'll give one last plug to Silicon Flatirons program. Join into the program next week. I think it'll be really super interesting. Amy, any last word before we sign off?
1: No, go visit our website, participate in our programs. We want to see all three of your listeners at our next event. All
0: right. No, you doubled us. We're going to be at six.
1: Oh, got it. Yep.
0: Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.